we know that there's something weird when it comes to talking about sex and relationships. And that happens because people don't talk about it from an early age. You know what time it is. It's time for the Dodcast. 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 It's no secret in saying that every person alive today has an inbuilt sexual drive. It's ingrained into our genetic makeup. It's what defines our species and has ensured our survival on this planet for over 300,000 years. On today's podcast, I try to explore why such an important natural human activity has been marked by shame, discomfort and embarrassment. Dr. Kate Dawson is a postdoctoral research fellow at the National University of Ireland, Galway. Her study primarily focuses on sexual health promotion and educating the youth on key areas like consent, communication and intimacy. Her PhD was based upon the development of a pornography intervention program for young adolescents in an effort to improve sex education in Ireland. Kate is no stranger to the media eye in her efforts to destigmatize conversations on sex. She's featured on ITV's daytime talk show this morning, speaking about the benefits of sexual health promotion and why we should talk more openly about it. She recently completed a TED Talk talking about her research that focuses on how we can approach the topic more honestly with our children, communicating things better with our partners and feeling more at ease with ourselves. In today's podcast, we talk about the most common questions asked in a primary and secondary school setting in relating to sex. We explore the reasons why it has been seen as shameful for women to want sex and why men have been afforded more sexual freedom in the past. We discuss the reasons why kids may feel uncomfortable talking to their parents about sex and some useful approaches that can be taken. Kate also debunks some of the myths that exist around sex and pornography. She explains how much is too much masturbation, the importance of genital compliments and how important body exploration is. We thankfully now live in a world that sees the importance in educating our youth so that they have the capacity to make their own decisions in life. Instead of sticking our head in the sand and ignoring something so deeply ingrained into our psyche, we equip them with the tools to be able to decide for themselves. By empowering each person, it means their autonomy is respected and prevents any rebellious outbursts that you may otherwise see. This is episode 30, Sex Education with Dr. Kate Dawson. Dr. Kate Dawson, sex expert and porn researcher, welcome to the Dodcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I, I was introduced uh, to you through a very good friend of yours, uh, Avril, shout out. Uh, and I must say, I was really intrigued as to like, what sort of person that you would be. And I know this is something that we spoke briefly about uh, before we went uh, live, but I saw your TED talk and with the, ra- with the greatest respect, your welcoming smile and your childish giggle really swayed me from the hard-ass liberal picture that I painted in my head. Um, but the, the most important thing about this podcast today is, is really setting out the pre- premise behind the interview in terms of why we are here um, to learn about sex, essentially, okay? Mm-hmm. To learn about the birds and the bees and to sort of break down the, maybe the, uh, the gaps in my knowledge that I missed throughout the years. Uh, so I'm here as a medium for not just for myself, but for everyone listening today, just to maybe answer some of the silly questions and uh, maybe demystify some of the, 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 the unrealistic beliefs that, that exist in, in the world today. Um, so 
I, I was kind of thinking when I came over, I was kind of saying, you know, you'll have the, the strange questions from when you go into a school from, like, say, a 12 or 13-year-old, uh, you know, lad saying, you know, what's the average length of a penis size to an 8-year-old male thinking, you know, wondering should they still have a sex life? Um, what's the most common question that you get in, in, in every day? Um, I suppose when we go into schools, a lot of people would ask around, stuff around, like, how do you do... Like, how do you give a blowjob? How do you give a hand job? And obviously, they're really difficult questions for us to answer because we can't be giving children, like, sex advice. Um, so, like, the way we would kind of go around that is, you know, we'd talk about how... Like, the sexual functioning of a typical, like, male or female body and what might feel good but what, what might not feel good and how to do that safely. Um, but really, we stress everything around communication. But I guess the one very specific question that we get from... Well, from guys and girls is around penis size. Like, what's the average penis size in Ireland? Uh, which is 5.1 inches uh, for an adult man with an erect penis. Thank you. If you must know. <laughs> um, and so many questions about squirting. So like over the last couple of years, not in the last like five or six years, you know, it started off, we, we'd get loads of questions about squirting from like TY students or fifth year students. But now we're getting questions about it from primary school kids as well. Um, so squirting is basically something you know that people would see in porn a lot. And it's become, it's quite like, well, porn is cyclical, you know, like people porn is produced and they kind of develop this content and then people watch it because there's algorithms that will show them that and prioritize that over other things and then this increases the demand for squirting content um like in porn a lot of the time what you're seeing is you know a woman would have had to drink like three or four liters of water before doing a squirting scene and that's basically just diluted urine um but when somebody actually does squirt um it's the sphincter muscle in the bladder relaxes and fluid that's produced by the skein's gland inside the vagina will come out when that woman has an orgasm but it only happens for about two percent of of women um but we get this question so often that because people are seeing it so much online they think that this is something that happens to people you know to every woman um guys are feeling bad that they can't make their girlfriends squirt girls are feeling bad thinking that there's something wrong with their bodies um so it's a kind of a minefield really and that's why i became interested in in porn and in porn research in the first place was because of these messages that the kids in schools were getting yeah, because that was one of the things that you opened up your your brilliant TED talk, as I said, uh, with was I've always been curious in sex. Um, is is there any if you were to bring us all the way back? Is there is there you know like the younger years of 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 Kate Dawson? Um, was there anything in particular that you can pinpoint in time and say, oh yeah, that's that's I'm I'm curious about that. Um. I guess it was always something that I was interested in talking about with my friends and. Um, like I'd love to have those conversations, but I guess I moved to Ghana in 2010. Um, yeah. for, I was there for six months on a, like a work placement thing. And we went over there and I was like teaching English and I was working in a leprosy rehabilitation center, but I ended up working, um, in the area of like HIV prevention and teenage pregnancy awareness. Um, just because the school that I was working in, like once girls got to like 12 years of age they all would leave and get pregnant um a lot of them didn't really understand why they were getting pregnant the rates of HIV infection were really high in the village that I was working in so that kind of sparked my interest in working in the area of sexual health with regard to like it, I suppose it being a public health issue um but I think it, I suppose I've had experiences in the past you know like as a as a young person like exploring the sexuality um that weren't 
weren't like very negative but weren't particularly positive you know like being hurt like like physically hurt and those kind of things and it was only as I've had these conversations with my friends as an adult that I realized how widespread that is yeah. um and those kind of things you know like, like girls being really badly hurt by someone fingering them and being too rough like those types of things are really really common and they happen because nobody is telling guys how women's bodies work and no one's telling girls how men how male bodies work um, so that's, I suppose, that's kind of piqued my interest in sex education in the first place. Um, and I knew that there needed to be more emphasis on pleasure and sexual functioning because it really, the in the Irish context anyway, people were only learning about puberty, STIs and avoiding pregnancy. Um, but then all the other stuff was still happening to people, um, but nobody knew how to do it properly. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? Why, I mean, we know that the... Um, the, the clitoris itself was is built for pleasure. Um, is, I'm right by saying that. Yeah. As I said at the start, please. We, we said this at the start, funny <laughs> because you know, this is a learning exercise for Dennis O'Dwyer as well. So I said to Kate, please, you know, I'm I'm learning here too. So please let me know. Um, why is it in Ireland that we're kind of totally against that word of of pleasure and in drive and driving enjoyment from an activity like sex, which is is so natural, so normal to connect with another person at such an intimate level. Um, I'm going to let you answer the question before I, I, I say the next word. Okay. Um, I suppose men have always been afforded more sexual freedom in every culture, and Ireland's no different to that. And especially, you know, since um, I suppose Catholicism arrived in Ireland, and, and you know, we, we'd, our government then had really strong ties to the Catholic Church. A lot of our education system was based around Catholic recommendations for what was appropriate for children. Um, but it was always kind of seen as seen as shameful for a woman to want sex, you know, or to be interested in sex that she was a slut or that there was something wrong with her and that sex should just exist. You should only become interested in sex once you've reached a certain age and that you're ready to get married. Um, and we know now that, you know, sex is something that you, you can be interested in for your entire life, even though your understanding of it changes over time. Um, but there's all this a lot of shame and stigma around women's bodies you know men can talk more openly about their genitals for example or you see i know this is might be a silly example but if you see men's penises like drawn all over the place you never course, see a vulva yeah, yeah, yeah. drawn on the table do you know <laughs> That's um, <a> good point. <laughs> yeah um but like i was just like i refused to draw penises on desk when i was a kid <laughs> just i'm putting my hand up here too <laughs> i think everybody did um like you thought it was funny or whatever but there's so little knowledge around the different parts of the vulva you know even the difference between the vagina and the vulva everyone calls the vulva the vagina but the vagina is everything on the inside and the vulva is everything on the outside um, but people don't know where the clitoris is people don't know that there's two holes in the vulva that you know that women urinate and um, you know vaginal fluid comes out of a different hole like all of these things are like it's, it's part of your body but I know I've spoken to so many girls and young women who have never even looked at their vulva you know, so there's so much shame and embarrassment around it. Like, I know lots of women who don't want their partners going down on them because they don't want them to see their vulva when they're missing out on... It's, like, to the detriment, you know? Like, it, they're missing out on so much pleasure, potential pleasure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, then it's cyclical in that, you know, one generation doesn't talk to another about it, and that just carries on. So I'm, I'm at the moment, studying uh, medicine, and I think this is literally a... Uh, an exp like a perfect in the copy explanation of what you just said in terms of the vulva and having two holes and here was me trying to put in my first uh, catheter on a female patient and not being able to do it oh really this this is literally like less than a year ago oh, and i and i was like po poking in the wrong hole 
And then the, 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 the gynecologist gently just pushed my hand down and then inserted it in. I was like, oh, thank you. So, so, so there you go, in, in the working. And, and, and here's another little silly one for you as well. Uh, I mean, it's, it's important, I think, for me to be very open and transparent as well in terms of how little I actually know about the, 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 the female uh, beautiful species as well because coming from a, an all-boys boarding school, um, being a tall white male and, and being an all-male house other than my mother, who's an absolute powerhouse... Hello, mom. Thank you for thank you for putting up with me. Um, is that for uh, the tampons? I thought that that tampons essentially was was like a suction device. You, like you you, you you like you know the little yeah the internal applicator. I thought what you do is you like you pull the string and and like it sucks out the period. the period. And this was only something that I learned about. I'm I'm gonna I'm no joke. Maybe about five years ago until I had my first girlfriend. Like no, no, that's not that's not how it works. You know. Fair enough. So, you know, why would anybody tell you? Well, they should. You know, like we do. Um, like it, we pass around this bag full of like tampons and products that you need, like during or when you're coming into puberty and your bodies are changing and stuff. And we do this activity in primary school, and they pass around like this hat full of like tampons, different things, and pads. And the lads are all taking the tampons out. Like, what the hell is yeah. this? And the girls are all there giggling. But like, how would you know? Yeah. You know where it goes or like what it's for, how it's used. So, like me and my friend had to figure that out ourselves as well. I'm like, where does this go? And like, <laughs> there's and there's loads of like scary information on the box about toxic shock syndrome and like that it can kill you and all this stuff. And you're just like, they're going, Jesus, you really need somebody to tell you about it. But I, 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 I suppose it's a nice segue. I was going to talk about it a little bit later on, but I assume you've you've seen all the hysteria with regards to the tampon ad, the Tampax ad that's been on at the moment. Obviously, it was taken off. Uh, Irish um, 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 waves at the moment. What are your thoughts? I think it's ridiculous that that's been removed. I didn't think it was a particularly good ad. Like I think I think that the message in it was good, um, but I did find it a little bit cringy. But um, yeah, like it's. I'm not surprised that it was taken down, but it's just so disheartening that you know we can have these really. We were even talking about this on our trip away with the girls at the weekend. You can have these really horrific. Um, car accident ads do you know where I remember yeah. one from years ago there's like a couple sitting on a wall and then a car goes around a corner it flips over and crushes them and the girl is there and she's her partner is dead in between her legs and she, she's screaming and that is fine but somebody talking about making sure that your tampons up for, far enough so that it feels comfortable is <laughs> too over the top or too extreme um, did, did you see Dr. Kira Kelly's response on News Talk? about the shaming of women and I, I thought her response was phenomenal in terms of um, fem- women having a, a, a vagina like the, the same as a man has an elbow you know it's, it's just an apparatus and it's just been over sexualized for years and she felt as though that's the reason why it was taken down from, from, um, from the television but what I found interesting was that it was actually over 80% of females were the main complaints of the advert which I found really really interesting I thought well would it be males contacting you saying that they, they, they disagree with this or is it, is it kind of um, quite conservative females thinking no this is this is not what I want to be seeing this is not especially what I don't want to be, my kids to be seeing it, for, it was it was removed by the AISI the Adverts Authority in Ireland for four main issues so the general offence of it the demeaning demeaning to women sexual innuendo and the, and the uh, suitability to children they were the foregrounds that they removed it yeah um, that just like Offensive to women. <laughs> That's what I said, yeah. Okay. What was the second one that it was demeaning? Demeaning to a general offence, demeaning to women, sexual innuendo, and then uh, suitability to children. Can you agree with any of them? No, not at no. all. 
but they, uh, there's challenge. I, I think it's probably because they were being so specific about it you know not being up far enough that might be what they're referring to the sexual innuendo I don't know but I think that, they were saying something like just the tip and things like just that the tip. okay but like there are things that would go completely over a kid's head you know it's not in the I would like to think so we've all, we've all seen Spongebob Squarepants you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you, you know you're watching a movie again that you wouldn't you wouldn't have seen for like 20 years and then you realize like oh there was a sex yeah. joke in that you know um but it's it is something that I know loads of um, like teenage girls who would have said that they can't use tampons because they find them too painful and too uncomfortable. And that's the reason. Because mm-hmm. they don't know that they need to push them up further. Fair enough, yeah. Um, but, oh no, it's... I think, in, you know, to be fair, like Irish people have come a really long way um, when it comes to being a bit more open, talking about sex and, um, you know, I suppose really significant societal changes like the marriage referendum repeal. They're all really positive changes, but it's just disappointing that you know a couple of people 80 people or something can be offended by something and then chip away at some of the good work that's been doing that, mm. that's been done um but we you know unfortunately we see that everywhere mm. just to bring you back to what we were talking about uh with regards to the catholic church and and uh, uh re- religion are you religious yourself no Can't say that I am. Um, a- like agnostic I or atheist or any spirituality? No, not really. Like, kind of, I don't think about it that much. Uh, like, I did my communion and confirmation and all that stuff. Um, I just got engaged and I will have a humanist Human ceremony. ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Congratulations as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. To John, you met him. Yeah, I did. Lovely man. Uh, I, he, he, the, the economist. The economist. Sex and economy goes to it. <laughs> um, because there was a... Bef- before this uh, episode, I was doing a little bit of research, and interestingly, uh, John Harvey Kellogg's, uh, he's the creator of Kellogg's, have you come across this? Mm-hmm. He was a, a, a staunch uh, religious man, uh, I think it was a Protestant actually, um, but he was also, I think, a doctor as well, but he, he um, created the Kellogg's Cornflakes cereal uh, to suppress masturbation in young kids. And he actually fell out with his brother, like had completely fell out with him because he wanted to add a sugar, add sugar. He wanted to create Frosties. And, and I was just thinking to myself, I mean, I've been eating a lot of crunchy nut during the break. Is that a sign of something there? You know? <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's insidious, isn't it? It's been just ingrained into the thought process of, of, uh, of, of society. Again, what are your thoughts? Or you probably have any more anecdotal stories about the reason why religion has suppressed uh, sex education for so many years? Ooh, yeah, it's kind of like, where do you begin? Like, I feel that... Now, I definitely... I'm not saying this across the board with all religious institutions. Um, I can just say from my own experience living in Ireland and the experiences of Irish people that I think, you know, in our context, the more power um that somebody can have over your life the kind of I suppose the more powerful that they can be and kind of retain that um but what's just so disturbing and insidious about you know everything that went on in Ireland is that you're that they the Catholic Church would sort of spout you know ideals around purity and mm-hmm. um piety and you know family values and then there's such a dark underbelly to that um i'm so sorry what's your question what my, my question isn't isn't very clear but it's mainly just to give give us your 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 thoughts on 
why um, the Catholic Church or the Church in general religion has has brought back the the education and the awareness of of uh, of sex uh, pornographic material hundred years hundred and fifty years. I suppose it's every the <clears throat> sex education that the Catholic Church or you know any religious institution really would want you to have is education that coincides with their values. So if they believe that you know a marriage should be between a man and a woman, that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, um, that sex is to procreate, then of course they're going to want you to leave out discussions of you know same-sex relationships, of condom use. Um, and that was the case for a really long time in Ireland until, uh, until the AIDS pandemic broke. Um, and then there was a really clear need that people had to start talking about condoms. But that was the only reason why we started, uh, I think, I can't remember what it was called. It was like a, the AIDS something initiative of Ireland. And it was, okay, we need to start talking to young people about condoms because otherwise they might get HIV. But it wasn't so that they could avoid getting pregnant. Um, same with anal sex. You know, there was no mention of anal sex until that. Um, yeah, I suppose it's only now because, you know, there's there's a lot more, what do they call like, what are they called? those schools that there's so schools that aren't being run by the catholic church um that we can break away from that and for a really long time even until recently um you know sex education there was like policy guidelines around sex education in ireland that are really comprehensive now they include stuff around porn consent whatever pleasure um but you can you can choose to deliver that content in accordance with your school's ethos so all of the catholic schools might still be able to cut out all of that information. So until we can completely separate church and state um, and church and government departments and you know our educational institutions, then we might not see um, a real change when it comes to sex education. Or, well, we might see a change in that some schools will become a lot more, uh, you know, will deliver truly comprehensive sex education. But then there's going to be such a huge distinction or a huge gap between some students' yeah. knowledge and students of other, other yeah. students' knowledge. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that skit that Tommy Tiernan said, I think it was on his new talk show with regards to, again, going to, a, to a, I think, a Christian Brothers and one of them and having a conversation with a, a priest at the time about masturbation and saying that you only had 100 times to masturbate, including your, your sex. So if you waste up those 100 times, you might not be able to have any kids. Have you, have you, did you hear about that one? Yeah, yeah. And all these crazy things. Like I, I, it was something I think you, you had said before with regards to Lent and uh, going off... Uh, masturbating for Lent and his, his testicles exploding because of it. And you hear of these, I, these were stories that, that, that within an all boys boarding school that I was in that I, I had heard. And I mean, I know you're kind of giggling to yourself, you're like, oh, but this was things that we were, we were frightened about. We were really, really, truly afraid about. We were also told at the time that porn, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, an absolute scavenger hunt for who had porn on the telephone. And sure, every, nearly every single lad had porn on the telephone to get through boarding school or whatever it was. You know, we were maybe in second or third year at the time. And there was a scavenger hunt and all the teachers went through every single one of our, our, po- our phones to see who had, who had the porn. And they found the person with the, who had the porn, who had the, like the, the, the master file of porn. And he was literally expelled and everything else and completely thrown, nearly thrown out of the school because of it and everything else. And we got massive talks about, you know, what if this was your mother, if this was your, if this was your sister, um, is porn bad for you? God, that's a loaded question. Um, it depends. For the vast, vast, vast majority of people, there seems to be no negative effect at all. Most um, effects would be kind of neutral or or positive in that it helps you to masturbate and helps you to 
like a cheap orgasm. In, it really depends on the type of person you are and the type of content that you're watching. So if you are, if you have compulsive tendencies, um, if you have aggressive tendencies, so you've, you know, maybe have a history of bullying or non-sexual aggression, then watching porn can be associated with behaving in a, a sexually aggressive way. But it's not really like a... Porn isn't the catalyst, okay. you know? Okay. Yeah, porn is never going to change your personality and then make you rape somebody. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of debate around porn addiction and stuff, but generally the whole, the whole thing with porn addiction is that it can't really be treated the same as a, as a regular addiction. So when they do... Um, you know, like brain studies of people who are watching porn, somebody who says or is a compulsive porn user, how their P300, this brainwave, how it lights up or how their brain responds to watching porn is very different to how somebody who's addicted to cocaine or gambling. Okay. So their brain will respond in a really different way. Okay. So it actually, the P300 should, I suppose, to kind of, yeah, it should light up or become kind of ignited. That should happen. If say if I'm addicted to drugs and I see drugs, then that P three hundred would light up. The opposite happens when somebody's addicted says that they're addicted to porn. So when they're shown porn, they actually have a su suppressed response. So it might mean you know that they have compulsive tendencies or that they have a very high sex drive and feel really guilty about it. We know that people from religious communities who've been brought up in really conservative households they're more likely to say that they're addicted to porn, um, and that might just be because they're guilty or they feel bad about the porn use. So no like we know that you know from the research that we have porn is never really the the primary source of a problem it might reinforce bad behavior so if you're already sexually aggressive that then watching violent porn is almost cyclical and that you'll watch it it'll become more normalized and then you might might act on it but in and of itself like if porn was really bad the whole world would be fucked yeah. do you know because yeah, everybody watches porn yeah. do you know like most yeah. people watch porn you know studies that we've done in the psychology department on the active consent program you know we I couldn't get any control groups because everybody watches porn <laughs> <laughs> so it's like 99.98% of our sample watch porn not regularly like some people watched it really regularly other people watch it like once a month some people might have just seen it a couple of times everybody knows what it is and everybody knows what it is to see even if they don't watch it at all and um, so it's you know if 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 it was really bad we would have some serious public health problems going on at the moment do you watch porn yeah but like i watch it for porn i watch it for porn i watch it for work a lot and um, when i started doing porn research i watched it loads for work and so I was working in a project where we were doing a content analysis and then I didn't watch it like personally for ages because I wasn't I was just like oh god no like work Seen enough of it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um yeah it, it depends like some yeah it really varies depending on like on my mood and stuff if I watch it a lot or go through phases where I don't watch it at all yeah it just depends yeah. I think it's kind of like anybody else so, so again this is something that I debated about talking about on the podcast but I suppose why not uh, I remember. I still remember the first time watching porn, like hardcore porn. And again, it was like that. It was like I think one of the older brothers or something had it and and had passed it on to one of my friends or whatever. And I remember. I still remember it, like being visibly scared. But I thought it was just so aggressive. Mm. I really was 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 just just thought. I, I just, it just was not didn't tally up with what I had envisaged whatsoever. 
And uh, previously, kind of anything I'd seen before was more so like nudie mags and things like that, you know, like Playboy and stuff like that. So that's what I assumed it would be like, you know, just kind of posing, things like that. But like when you saw how physically aggressive the male was within the scene that that was kind of taking place, I just, I, I don't think I watched it again for another year or two after that. I just wasn't into it. Um, now, I, I ended up coming around in the end, but this, I think, is an important conversation and question to, to talk about because the whole area of consent and it not existing essentially within a, a, a porn scene. Um, I assume that's one of your main issues with, with uh, people watching pornographic material. Um, yeah, like, so as you said there, you know, yeah, there's, it's really difficult to make sweeping statements about porn because it's so varied, you know, like there's kind of couples porn, porn, amateur porn and stuff that is sort of designed as like being for women because it's softer or whatever and less kind of aggressive. And then there's a whole other extreme and then there's stuff that's really illegal and terrible. Um, so obviously, you know, if a young person was to see any really hardcore, aggressive, extreme content, that could be really frightening. Um, but the whole issue of consent, I guess, I think, you know, when it comes to porn, we know the porn performers, um, well, if they're working in a legitimate industry or for a legitimate company, which is about 96 or 98 percent of them, you know, most of them aren't underground. You know, they're very above board. The actors are or the performers are treated really well. Um, they have proper working conditions, all of the things that you want for like a job, like a proper job. Um, they have to agree, you know, in advance what are the scenes that they're going to do. And if there's any communication that happens during the filming of whatever the five or six hours that they're filming, um, you know, those parts, those little conversations are edited out because nobody really wants to watch that when they're masturbating, you know, someone mm. chatting. Um, so, yeah, we don't get to see any communication that goes on between porn performers. That's problematic if you're using porn to learn about sex. Um, like the data that we have shows that most people don't use it for that reason, but it can sort of normalize the idea that communication isn't that important. And I think if we did see more communication in porn about actually, can I, can I do this? That's uncomfortable. Or, you know, does that feel good for you? That would reinforce the whole idea that this is like, the, that it's sexy to communicate, that it makes you a better sexual partner if you communicate. So I think we're missing an opportunity there in that we don't see it that much. Now there's a lot of like new ethically produced and feminist porn where they really give that a lot of attention. Um, but I was interviewing a bunch of guys a couple of years ago and they said that they'd skip past that. Do you know? So, like what's, that, what's that like? What? The feminist porn. Oh, like, um, so I worked on a project with um, a bunch of guys called the, the, it's Pink and White Productions. It's a project called the Crash Pad series. And it's, there's generally like, I suppose, porn that it's, you know, shot in the same way, but it has more varied body types and people doing, and there's a lot more emphasis on consent and communication. Um, the, the behaviors that are done are kind of done in a safe way. And like, even some of them are like instructional videos. So like I watched a, there was one on like, you know, a safe guide to fisting that was like filmed like porn, like a regular porn that you'd see, but it talks you through how to do things properly. And so I think it, they pay a lot more attention to their content being used, potentially being used for, as an educational resource. Okay. Um, but I can, I can link you something. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I can put them on the, uh, the footnotes. So if anyone's looking up, um, uh, is how much masturbation is too much masturbation? So as long as you're not hurting yourself, um, as long as you're not masturbating in public, and as long as it's not interfering with your everyday life. So if you find that you're 
you can't leave the house, you can't go to work, you can't go to college because you're, you just want to masturbate all day, then yeah, that's going to have a negative impact on your life. But as long as you're not doing any of those three things, there's no, there's no number. You know, some people won't masturbate at all. Some people will masturbate a lot. And pe- that will change depending on where you are in your, in your kind of cycle, mm. um, your hormones, your stress, if you're tired, um, if there's stuff going on in your relationship. Uh, lo- like loads of things will impact upon how much you masturbate but there's no number there's, yeah. yeah because we, we do know that obviously during the lockdown not just pornographic material you're talking about you know the, the WHO coming out about alcohol as well and, and the likes you know vices in life uh, a lot of people turning to them during the lockdown because there was a kind of a lack of stimulation there was you weren't able to leave your house so what else would you do I suppose either drink or, 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 or wank I suppose you know so um this this did turn unfortunately a little bit kind of you know it was it was it was it was tough and difficult for some people because they they had no other outlet do you have any points or any 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 words on that or have you have you noticed any trends uh, during this kind of difficult covid time for for people well i guess it's really difficult for people who are single do you know in that you might be able to you would have maybe gone out at the weekend or met up yeah. with someone on tinder or gone on dates um so yeah, you know, a lot of people have been stifled in that sense. Like we know with regard to relationships, the whole pandemic and lockdown has been an accelerator in two ways. Either that it'll really bring a couple together, closer together, and it'll improve their relationship or it will bring up issues that have been kind of bubbling below the surface for a mm. while and now they're kind of hitting them in the face. Um, but when it comes to sex and masturbation and stuff, it, it's kind of the same. Some people are masturbating a lot more because they... Well, they want to they might not have anything else to do but other people are masturbating a lot less because their mood is lower um and we're going to see some very serious significant um you know mental health problems after all of this is well once we, we know that it's happening now but once all the data co- is collected i know nurg and my colleagues in psychology are doing some studies on that at the moment um even just from our students feedback that we've gotten from our evaluations and stuff this year is that a lot of students have really struggled um so everyone's lives is everyone's life is kind of turned upside down, and you know if you have to, you have to find ways to cope with that. And yeah, for some people that might be masturbating, and as long as you're not doing those, you know those three things, then it's there's no it's not bad for you. It's actually quite good for you for men anyway. We know that it's great for your prostate. For women, it's really good for um for your sexual self esteem. So yeah, I, I would say that you know masturbate away. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about your research. You sent me a few uh, articles that you were well, you have just recently finished uh, during the during the lockdown. So congratulations over them as a quali- quantitative and a qualitative piece. Um, yeah, what are the main headlines that are findings that you found coming from those those studies? Um, well, I guess there. So a couple of the studies that uh, one of the studies I sent you was part of my PhD. Um, so I might talk about that in the context of like the overall PhD because it kind of makes more sense then. Um, so yeah, so my PhD was focused on, which I finished last August, um, was focused on developing an evidence base for designing porn literacy interventions. So like what should sex education interventions around pornography look like? Um, what's the, what's the content that they should include and how can they be age appropriate? Those types of questions. Um, and we found that, you know, young people really wanted us to focus on you know sexual behavior body image and sexual exploration because they were the three things that they're primarily looking to porn to find information about so what people's bodies look like you know like the vulva and penis like we were talking about earlier how to do different sexual practices and to do them in a safe way and when i'm talking about safe sex i don't just mean like not getting pregnant and um 
not getting an STI, but doing them in a way that, you know, you don't cause your partner any pain. Um, so I suppose our main findings really there were that porn education is something that is really necessary. You know, young people think it should be part of sex education programs. Um, but I also worked a lot with parents to find out, um, I suppose, whether or not they think that this is something that they would get on board with, whether they thought it was appropriate or not for, for their teenager, teenage children to mm-hmm. kind of be exposed to. Um, and there's, I suppose, one of the main problems is that a lot of parents thought that, you know, when you talk about porn education, they thought that, that you might be showing them content and being getting them to critique it, especially when we talk about porn in the context of media literacy and being able to critique media content. Um, so I suppose we had to have a lot of conversations about no this is absolutely not what we're doing there's no way you'd be showing like porn to, to a young person just giving them the, them the skills so that they can have the kind of knowledge and confidence to be critical about the content that they see and that they'll know that porn isn't realistic and I suppose a lot of the research then brought out the whole um, kind of the main points of what we need to address then to make sure that people know that it's not realistic and mm-hmm. um, um, at the moment yeah, I'm doing a lot of research around what people are learning about sex from watching porn and um, the study that I sent you on the link between yes. porn use and sexual aggression and sexual violence so they're kind of the things that we're working on at the moment um, and intervention development I'm also doing a lot of work around um, consent because I work on the active consent program um, yeah so this was kind of like a summary of my studies yeah, no, but, that's um, the, the, one of the questions that I was asking a lot of my friends before sitting down with your, your, your lovely self was, was how did you learn about the birds and the bees? Um, did you get a sit-down chat? Did you just learn through the grapevine? Or, you know, how did it happen? And what I was found really, really curious or, or really, really interesting was that no one seemed to really get the, the, the chat or the conversation, which, which is so quintessentially, so typically Irish. Um, and I felt that that was the same way. I was given a book. It was just left at the bottom of my bed one day until I actually decided to have a conversation with mom and say, mom, did, did we actually ever have a chat about the birds and the bees or how did this happen? And she said, well, Dennis, I tried to have the chat about the birds and the bees. I said, what do you mean you tried? You wouldn't really allow me to have the conversation. Any time that we'd sort of bring it up or you'd say, oh, that's enough now. So I, I, she'd talk for maybe a minute or two and then I'd say, that's enough. And she completely respected if it was in the car or wherever, wherever it was, you know, that, that was it. But she said it was, it was so funny. There was one of, I think it was myself. I was really young at the time, was coming out of the bath at the time. And I just kind of in passing sort of a, just a jovial type comment, I said, Mom, what's the difference between a shift and a shag? <laughs> and her answer was phenomenal. At the powerhouse, as I said, she is. She said a shift is a style of dress and a shag is a hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can keep that now, okay? <laughs> so so this was the thing, was like, I obviously have repressed this memory in my head about learning, actually, where daddy is putting his penis in mommy, you know? And, you know, at the time thinking, that's fucking disgusting, don't want anything to think about. And then here I am as a 28-year-old year old male having this conversation, thinking, oh, no, I never got the conversation. Like, I was given a book and I saw, you know, I, showed the, I was shown the anatomy and then, you know, you learned through other people how it actually happened. But ultimately, I, I actually, my mother was an extremely progressive person in terms of trying to bring it up at various times with me just not shutting it down immediately. Is, is, do you find that difficult that kids just won't listen? That's the thing. Like, that's a lot, a lot of people's experiences. And they've done loads of studies on, um, you know, retrospective accounts of uh, kids, I suppose, who are now grown up. And their memory or their recollection of their conversations with their parents about sex and 
have also interviewed the parents and asked them, you know, did you talk to your kids about sex and what did you say? And parents have loads of examples. We're like, oh yeah, we talked about this and this and this, but for whatever reason, a lot of kids don't remember it. And like in your own experience, you know, the whole thing of like, I'm, I've had enough, I don't want to talk about it. Unfortunately, that happens when we know that there's something weird when it comes to talking about sex and relationships. And that happens because people don't talk about it from an early age. So like if your parent, I'm not talking about you specifically, but if a parent, you know, starts conversations about consent and bodily autonomy and bodies and uses the correct term for like vulva and penis and those types of things, then it can normalize more difficult conversations as you grow older. But when somebody, you know, I think a lot of parents start conversations with their kids when they think that they might start fancying people being like oh god you know they might want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend soon uh, and so we better have a conversation about the birds and the bees or whatever um at that stage it's kind of too late because they'll have had they'll have had these conversations with their friends they'll know about sex they'll know that it's something that's like taboo to talk about um and they'll have absorbed information from the media social media from tv all these different things. So I think it's the problem really there is that, you know, kids feel uncomfortable talking to their parents about these things because it hasn't become normalised over time and it's not good enough to just say, okay, we're going to just sit down and have this chat now uh, because I want to have it as a parent to give you that information when the kid is completely unprepared for it. And it is uncomfortable. You know, like I even remember like watching, I don't know, like movies and TV shows and there'd be like a kissing scene or a sex scene and you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah, like, yeah. and it was just really uncomfortable and, and embarrassing. But when I spoke to my own parents about this, um, like, my memories are that we didn't have that many conversations about sex. But like, my dad was saying, like, oh yeah, we were like really open talking to you about it. And I don't know why I don't remember that. So it's the same as me then. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why I don't remember it. Um, but I got a book as well, and I suppose yeah, I was just really, I was just really interested in it anyway. So I, re- I think I read the whole book like in one sitting. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, this yeah. is so interesting. Um, but, but what has been brilliant is especially during the lockdown to normalise it has been normal people uh, yeah. to sit down and, and for parents and, and kids alike to, to sit down and, and, and watch some of these quite graphic scenes um, and personally speaking I, I, was, I, I loved it I thought it was brilliant I thought it was phenomenal uh, including the sex scenes <laughs> and, and, and I just thought it was so real I thought it was so brilliant so so real um, in terms of these two young kids because like, I know a lot obviously we had the backlash on um, Joe Duffy and oh god these sex scenes and everything else and I'm sure you were listening to these being like for fuck's sake Ireland can you just grow up a small bit and, and, and everyone is doing it it's okay it's not an issue why is it that there's still the dinosaurs that exist in, in Ireland today that still have an issue with watching these graphic scenes with maybe a, a minor or a younger, younger per, a person from a younger generation who are probably more sexually active than they are in their own life? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I, it's, it's, I suppose, like, as I said earlier, no, it's all around, it's cyclical. You know, like we don't, we haven't had these conversations with our parents, so therefore we're uncomfortable talking about it with, um, with our children. But I think normal people has been really good in normalizing, um, I suppose, some of the kind of gray areas around consent. If we know, know that consent should be ongoing, it should be mutual, and that both people are, how many people are having sex, um, should agree to it, and, that, <clears throat> excuse me, and it should be freely given. And I think that when we see that in normal people, it gives, it's really good modeling for mm. young people. So you're like, okay, this is the type of language that you can use you know it wasn't cringy that he asked if she was okay you know you weren't going like oh well you can't ask for consent because it ruins the mood like that used to be the argument for condoms you know like can't ask you can't ask your partner to use a condom because then it will just destroy the whole thing and then you won't end up having sex but i think 
the pandemic in general, which I, um, I've been kind of thinking about this this morning only, I think the pandemic in general has been really good for us in addressing consent more openly, not in, an, in a non-sexual way, like how, I, I don't know how many people that I've met, but like rather than just hugging someone or rather than just touching someone, now we ask like, oh, is yeah. it okay if I shake your yeah. hand? You know, these types of conversations are happening and like we live in a consent culture, you know, but the, for a long time when it comes to like touching other people's bodies, these are things that we took for granted. And I think that the pandemic has been helpful and, you know, we're really aware now of our surroundings and like, is it okay to touch you know your hand or is it okay to whatever and I think that that's been really valuable in and of itself and hopefully we'll start a kind of a further conversation down the line about like touch and um as I know as a woman one thing that really fucking pisses me off excuse me is that you know I'll meet somebody for the first time they'll shake my boyfriend's hand and then they'll come in and they'll give me a big kiss on the cheek and I'm just like right that is you're like I don't know who you are you know we're not friends and even though I know a lot of people might not feel like that's a big deal, I feel like it's a real invasion of my okay. space. I don't want someone coming up and kissing me on the face. Do you know, whereas you would absolutely not do that now. And I love it. I love that no one's coming up and like yeah. touching you. You get touched a lot or like, you know, people brushing by you in the supermarket. Someone would like put their hand around your waist or kind of like move you. Yeah. That never happens to John. You know, they'll just skirt around him. Whereas I get, I get touched or I get like moved by the waist. And that drives me mad. Okay. And I think now with the pandemic, you know, nobody's allowed to do that. Or if you, now I feel like I can say like, whoa, you know, like social distance there, buddy. <laughs> do you know? Um, whereas I wouldn't have felt like I could say that before. That's really interesting. Do you know? No, absolutely. Yeah. It's a good thing I didn't shake your hand coming in, so. <laughs> well, like, yeah, no, I, I was acutely aware. Well, I know, I wasn't tired. I just made sure to take a, take a step back and be like, okay, you know, it's their space. Um, but I, I absolutely echo, uh, I want to echo it again with regards to that phenomenal scene with, um, with Connell, uh, with Marianne, about to, about Marianne for, about to have sex for her very first time. And as you said, you know, because those were things that I had even said myself, oh, it's going to kill the mood, things like that. And it was just so fluid. Uh, he, he was so graceful. And I'm sure you are celebrating as well as every other woman is that he's now turned into the sex symbol of, of the lockdown. It's just phenomenal. And he still has this grace and aura about him. Yeah, it's great to have like a... Um like someone who's idolized practicing really good consent yeah. behaviors like and he's so cool it's so funny that he went from like doing that rasher ad to yeah to, Denny's. To, to this, like yeah, yeah it's a Denny's ad um no it's great it's great to see yeah um something i i really briefly wanted to speak about was was the jeffrey epstein uh, gillian maxwell case obviously gillian maxwell is is up in court quite quite soon and there's the big concern that she's going to oust everyone with regards to all the, the alicadoos that they were hanging around at the time. Obviously a disgraceful, disgusting case with regards to what happened with, with Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein and, and the girls not feeling as though they got their redemption because of him essentially killing himself, mm. which is such a kick in the teeth for, for, for them. Um, we again briefly spoke about before we, we, we pressed the live button. Your, your general thoughts about this, this case, obviously, is she guilty? She must be. Well, I would find it, I would be very surprised if she wasn't guilty. Like everything else so far has lined up in the Epstein case. You know, there's a lot of evidence against her. Um, you know, obviously like there's photos and everything with her and Prince Andrew. She spent all of her time with Jeffrey Epstein. She was, you know, his girlfriend or whatever. All of the victims um, are saying that she basically groomed them. Um, so it would be really 
if everything else is aligned, it would be really unusual for her not to be involved. Um, and for her to, to say that she had no idea what was going on is completely far-fetched. And I just don't believe it at all. One of, one of the arguments that a lot of people are coming out is, is saying, but some of the girls were 18. That, that's not the point. And it was, again, something that we spoke about again. It's, it's, the, it's the, the difference in power, isn't, isn't, isn't that correct? Or Yeah, so like consent isn't just about asking somebody... Just, so just because somebody says, yeah, I'm, I'll have sex with you, it doesn't mean that they were, like, weren't coerced into it. It doesn't mean that they weren't you know, like, pestered over and over and over again. Like we see it in a lot of young relationships. You know, the, the, the girl or the guy will ask their partner so many times that they eventually give in, and they say, yeah, but that, that's not consent when power imbalances are in play, you know, like in situations like Harvey Weinstein, where you exert so much power over someone's life, how, if they're going to, you know, make it as an actress or make it as an actor or make it in Hollywood, you know, you are in a, such an extremely powerful position that you can impact that person's life to such a degree that they're not in a position to say no. You, they do not have the position. They don't have the capacity to say no because you have so much power over them. That's not consent. Um, so, yeah, I think... You know that you know, we were talking about that the four part documentary docu series on on Netflix. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I think it is helpful, you know, for people to watch that to get a better understanding of consent. And just because they're adults doesn't mean that you can't be manipulated. We know that he pried he preyed on people from vulnerable communities, um, from like broke people who had like, for want of a better term, like broken households or, um, whose parents might not have had the capacity to be looking after them the whole time. So these are really, really vulnerable women um, who, were, who were preyed upon and they knew how to, to pick them out. And Gillian Maxwell, that was kind of like her job. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think it's, we live in such a, a politically correct world at the moment that it's sometimes really difficult to, to openly talk about sex? Um, I, find, I find it personally, again, as a, as a tall white male, that sometimes I feel I'm a little bit compromised coming into a situation and being as kind of extroverted and as open about talking about these, these, these types of topics. Obviously, you being a researcher, and you, the first thing that you said, it's all about the, the, the language that we use before going into it. I still sometimes feel as though I need to be to take, a, take a step back and like, you know, assess the room before I openly start giving my tuppence worth. Yeah, well, I think, it's, you know, talking about sex... It's obviously, you know, it's a private thing. Um, I even, I have some, I get ex- have experiences all the time where people will just start telling me all of these really, really sensitive things or asking me really, really personal questions because I'm a sex researcher. And they think like, oh yeah, you should be open to telling me everything, you know? Whereas like, it's, it's a private part of your life. It's not like, because when we say that people should be okay talking about sex, we, we mean that with their partners and the people that they want to have sex with. You know, it's not like, oh, you should be okay telling everybody about how many orgasms you have and what positions you're into. You know, um, that's not what we mean at all. Um, but I think it takes, you know, it's about common sense. You know, like you were saying there that you at least, like, you read the room and you, you can kind of identify whether or not it's okay to talk about sex or to bring up the, the topic with somebody. It depends on, like, do you know them well? Are they your friend? Um, I suppose you, there's a big difference between having like an open and kind of mutual conversation about sex and then there's a fine line between that and harassment where you're it's a one-way conversation you're not reading their body language they might even be telling you to like shut up or change the topic of conversation and you're not listening to them so it's really just about common sense and being respectful and even though you might want to talk about it and you might be comfortable talking about it a lot of people aren't so you need to respect that as well love that love that obviously a topic like this uh, is quite 
polarizing. It's it's there's a, there's a there's a left and a right side like most things in particular in the world at the moment, but in particular with with, with a very sensitive topic like like sex. We, we us here might say it's not a very sensitive topic. It's a very natural and organic uh, conversation to be having. But as I said, it is quite polarized within within Ireland in particular. You've you've experienced a little bit of trolling and and, and bits and bobs online, which is really. It's been has been not been very nice to you. How do you how do you deal with these types of people trying to get at you um, when all you're trying to do is educate and empower people to to explore and learn more about something that's extremely natural? Um, I think I think the the trouble with so say using platforms like Twitter and stuff to share messages um, around your research, like just speaking from my own experience, was that it's really easy to misconstrue what you say. And especially when, say like I, so I work, you know, in sex education, uh, work with teenagers, talk to them about pornography and stuff. But I've had so many articles, so many tweets, so many people giving out on the radio about me, you know, saying that I want to show kids porn um, because I want, you know, I think that young people should participate in porn literacy education, but porn literacy isn't about showing kids porn, it's about giving them skills so that they can identify that porn, if they see porn, that it's not reflective of their of their real life relationships. And unfortunately, people just aren't very media literate and that they'll just read something online and they'll believe it and then they'll disseminate that information. But we're very um, limited in, I suppose, in the information that we get and the information that we kind of end up disseminating ourselves like we're, we're fed information that we already agree with so you know these say circles of people who um are really anti-sex education reform or anti the stuff that i'm doing um they kind of exist in or their friend their friendships are among people who also have the same beliefs um like a friend of mine caroline as well who does who does um sex research and she's based in dublin she's had bad experiences with trolling as well and it just seems to be part and parcel of being a sex researcher one of my um, colleagues in the states has had to move house because someone has shown up at her house and um, she's had to move house a few times and That's she's disgusting. had you know barring orders put in place so it can be really frightening and i hate to say it but i think that i'm as a woman as a young woman youngish woman i'm 30 um i'm an easy target you know i feel like if it was a man in the same position as me saying the same things i I don't, I feel like I, I doubt that they would have gotten as much abuse that I, as that I get. Like after I went on a show in the UK, I had to go off Twitter and Facebook and everything for maybe a month because I just couldn't handle it. I got so much abuse. Um, pe- people like looking at my like private Facebook profile and, um, you know, I only have like a couple hundred friends because I do like a Facebook sweep of people who I don't know anymore. And I get rid of them. Um, but like, you know, that you can contact somebody even if you're not their, their mate on Facebook or whatever. So like I, the messages might still be, even be there, but I got so much abuse. I've had letters written to the department. I've had phone calls written to the head of our uh, phone calls to the head of my department, to the president of the university. I'm giving out about my research, but um, I think what I'm doing is right. And um, I like, I'm really well supported. So I'm lucky in that, that sense, you know, that I work with a great team and I'm in a great department and there's always going to be people who are opposed to what I think is positive reform um but like people who are giving out about the educational interventions that I'm proposing are the same people who are giving out about young people learning about same-sex relationships in schools um it's unfortunate that you know some people that's still something that's frowned upon and even some people find disgusting um but I suppose somebody's gotta someone's gotta do the job Well, well well let me say um 
for myself at a personal point of view and, and from anyone that I've had the conversations with, you are right. And I, I, I um, have massive admiration for the, the work that you do and for everything that, that you're doing in terms of, as I said, empowering and educating young people. So, so kudos to you. And, and I'm, it's so, so fantastic and brilliant to have this opportunity to speak to you today. And I hope to use my platform to be able to empower you even further and, and give you even, can even another bolster your, 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 uh, your research. Some very niche, niche questions before we, we finish up. This has, as I said, been phenomenal. But um, does your research affect any other intimate relationship that you have with others? Um, I suppose because of the stuff, like the, the continuous learning, I think it's been really good for my relationship, like my, my private relationship with John. Um, because I've been able to verbalise things like feelings or experiences that I might have struggled to even figure out what they were. Um, so I think that it's been positive on, on, on that side. I found that a lot of people, more people kind of of my friends will come to me for, with questions with regard to sex, which I'm totally happy to um, talk to them about. I'm like really happy to. But when one thing that I don't really like is that when people who, who I don't know um, will come up, like or like I'll meet someone new on a night out, like in a pub, even recently, in, or not recently, but she's in January, like in Massimo. Um, in Massimo, there was uh, like just a, a pub in Galway. Um, I was introduced to like a new bunch of people and you know eventually comes out like oh what you do for a job or whatever and people would even though I might not say I do sex research a lot of the time I'll just say I, I you know work in psychology department because I don't want to get into that conversation sometimes um but like a friend might say like oh she does this um they just divulge everything they kind of I don't mind so much hearing pe about people's experiences but people expecting me to sort of solve their problems okay. um like I'm not a therapist and like I, I'm my my knowledge is very specific, you know, into one area as well. And so I find that uncomfortable or people overstepping the mark um, with regard to asking me really personal questions. Um, and I really don't like that. I know that so many um, sex, res sex researchers experience that all the time. But people just think that we're an open book because we research sex. But like, yes, we're comfortable talking about it, but we're comfortable talking about it when we want to. You know, we don't want to have to be thrown into these conversations, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same again, I suppose, with, like what you were saying with regards to your, your personal space, not being invaded, you know, listen, you'll know from my body language if I want you to come in, you'll know if I want you, to, if I want to have this conversation about sex. Yeah, um, yeah exactly, or if I want, like, you'll, you'll know if I want to hug you, yeah. because you're my buddy or whatever, um, but, like, yeah, like, I, I didn't want to come across, like, um, I'm fine with, like, shaking hands and stuff, because yeah, yeah. earlier you told me no, I was shaking hands, right. but it's just, you know, the whole thing of, like, why do, I, why do I get the kiss on the cheek? No, no, I totally understand it. I totally get it. Um, what are the bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Oh, God. Um, I suppose with regard to porn addiction, like there's a lot of sweeping statements around like, oh, if you're watching a lot of porn, what does a lot of porn mean? Um, you know, that you need to like seek help. And a lot of the time it's, you know, these really um, profitable companies are kind of counselling organisations who are spouting this whole thing about porn addiction, trying to get people to spend like $700 a day on a, like a rehabilitation programme, that kind of thing. But bad advice, hmm. I think when people say like, I think parents sometimes think that their kids will come to them if they ever have any questions about sex and that won't happen if they haven't established this from the ground up. Um, so if you're waiting for your child to come and ask you questions, it's probably 
It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So just because you think that they're not asking, just because they're not asking you questions doesn't mean that it's not something that's on their mind. And I would encourage parents to start having these conversations as early as possible. And, you know, you don't, you scale up the conversation the older the child is, mm. but you scale it down then the younger they are. So just because we're talking about consent, you can talk about consent in a completely non, non-sexual way, do you know, like talking about the whole thing around COVID, for example, yeah. do you know, like, oh, you know, you don't have to touch anybody or you need to ask somebody if, if they want to take your hand now. Um, I think COVID is actually a good example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's... Sorry, I'm trying to think of like adults, kids. Yeah, no, no, no. I no, I get it. I I think though that that message alone is 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 important to, in terms of answering that question. That um, parents out there, if you're expecting your your kid to come to you and ask you, you know, what's a penis? You know, what's a vulva? What's a vagina? It's not going to happen. You need to bring it up yourself. Okay. Um, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Work wise. Yeah. Um. I so I do stained glass, but oh, I really yeah, I did see some bits of bobs upstairs. <laughs> yeah, place. yeah. Um, I think I stood in one of them by accident. No, I'm joking. No. I'm joking. I saw you. Well, who put it on the floor? <laughs> uh, no, I started doing that during lockdown, and because I was always like, I used to go to mass full time with my grandparents, um, when they were living in Cork, my grandma still lives in Cork, and I loved looking at the stained glass in the churches. I thought it was beautiful. So then when lockdown happened, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start doing this. Nice. So what I've been doing now is like, if I'm taking my breaks, I'll do that or I'll go to the gym. Um, but I find, yeah, like I have periods where I like work really, really well and I'm really productive. And then I might have one or two weeks where I can't get anything done. Um, finding like getting up early in the morning, trying to, yeah, trying to get the gym in at least once a day, not at least once a day, once a day, um, those types of things. But having something outside of work, yeah. It's really, really important to meeting up with your mates and stuff. Okay. Trying to keep like a good work, work, work-life balance. I know that that's way harder, um, easier said than done. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. And the very final question, uh, we've come to the end. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> is, um, what is your life goal or how would you like to be remembered? I guess, do you mean work-wise? Yeah, well, it can be. I mean... You said there, you know, when we, when we were very briefly talking about it, I, obviously I'm looking for a woodliner that'll summate the whole podcast interview, but it, 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 like, I love that. If you're, to be a good friend, which is, which is something that we had a conversation with your good friend Avil said, you know, the, the greatest smile, the loveliest laugh, you know, and even if it is that, I think it's a beautiful uh, thing to, to want to be remembered by. Uh, it, it, but if there is anything in particular in terms of your life goal, in terms of your passion, particularly within work, is there anything specific that you'd like to say, I would have liked to done X, Y, and Z? Okay, yeah. No, what I would, what I do want and what I will do is eventually um, get to a position where I can set up like a centre of excellence for sex research in Ireland. That's what I'd like. That's what yeah. I'm going to do. Watch this space. And this, and I think this is an important time to start referencing some of the, the resources that you have helped establish, the, the WISER, the Be WISER resource there, the, the West of Ireland educa- Sex Education resource, as well as another one. And I think this is an important time for you to maybe push a few of the references that we can out there for more people looking for more information in terms of having conversations, in terms of wanting to learn more about sex education. Yeah, I guess, um, so I, I worked, I don't work on the WISER program anymore, um, but I worked with an incredible organisation, Sexual Health West, previously known as AIDS West. And the Wiser website has loads of information and frequently asked questions and how to answer questions um, that your kids might have when it comes to, to sex. The Active Consent web, uh, the Active Consent program is what I'm working on now. So we develop um, consent interventions or workshops for third level and second level. 
Um, a lot of our research is on the NUIG website, so looking at like national studies on experiences of sexual violence, sexual consent, um, all the stuff around porn. So you can look me up on Google Scholar or ResearchGate to find out any of the my research there but that's most of it is around porn and and kind of the impacts of porn impacts of porn with regard to sexual violence and um, pornography education so that's really what I'm working on at the moment fantastic Kate Dawson thank you so much for spending the the last hour with me on the podcast it was a pleasure thank you it was lovely thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast Please be sure to share this one with a friend or relative who you think may benefit from hearing these insights from Dr. Kate and her research. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and check out the other ones available on all podcasting platforms that cover a wide range of themes. From sex exploration to cancer survival, overcoming adversity to summiting Mount Everest, this podcast has got something for everyone. And finally, thank you very much to you, the listener, This podcast would not exist if it wasn't for your support and kind words. Feel free to shoot me a message or a voice note letting me know what you thought or even letting me know some of the the other things that you might like to hear on this podcast. Catch you next time on the podcast.